Fiona and Liam Mann are the 2023 Syngenta Growth Award winners in the category of Innovator Farmer. They've fulfilled their dream of becoming farmers after starting from scratch. Everything they own and operate today has been a dedication of hard work, perseverance, and today we're here to sit down with both of you to hear your story, how it started, where it's come from, what's driving you guys, I guess what kind of the impact is you want to make. So, Fiona and Liam, welcome all the way from Western Australia to the Humans of Ag podcast. Good morning, Ollie. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Now, I guess a pretty good place to start is at the awards night itself. I do remember you standing up and speaking, Fiona. You said a few words. So maybe I'll throw this one to Liam. Liam, what was running through your head as they were going to read out who was the winner in the Innovative Farmer category? Well, I was just hoping I didn't have to talk, really. <laughs> Not a big talker, but oh, I just couldn't believe we won it, really. Yeah, I was just quite blown away by it all. And, of course, Fiona being a bit more organised, thought of them, some things to say. Otherwise, I probably would have just got up. Oh, thank you very much. And, Walked off. <laughs> walked off, probably. What was the day like in Sydney? Because the different, pe- I guess, different people and winners that I've spoken to, everyone said it was, they kind of felt small in a room of all these other people who had done such big accomplishments. What was the day like for you guys? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Very much felt like we are the smallest farmers in Australia. What are we doing here? But also on the flip side, understanding how different agriculture can be. So we're very much, we're broadacre, so, you know, no irrigation. And then you talk in a room like that and they're talking about cotton and they're talking about viticulture and they're talking about irrigate, like, you know, just all these other side of things that we just don't see in the ag region of WA. It's a lot more broad, broad acre. And then, you know, there were businesses that had lots of staff and they were spread over huge areas. And, yeah, it's very easy to, I think like that was what I focused on was how amazing and how broad it was rather than getting too bogged down in the, oh, we're so small. I think I did say to Liam, we think we spoke to one of the other farmers in our category and I think their land hectares was actually quite similar to ours. To completely different farming. I think it was trees or something. But I remember thinking, oh, wow, like, you know, we're, we are that size. We're the same as one of them. So that's okay. We're, you know, small's good. But it was a really good session. I actually got a lot out of it. And then probably like a lot of them are probably sitting there who are maybe commodity growers looking at you guys going, I can't imagine what it's like to deal with everything of the growing, but then also selling to consumers as well. Yeah, I think we did get a bit of a bit of that. I think our industry is different in that in that respect. We do do a lot more of that. I think and that's probably how this whole thing has almost evolved is shifting for, for us to be a farmer of commodities, shifting to we, we're growing a food, you know, that's with our value-added oil. You look at it with a different hat on, it's that we're sort of shifting more to, I suppose, like a horticulture where, you know, you're growing a carrot and you're selling the carrot to the consumer. We're growing the canola and we're selling the canola oil rather than just, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but generally speaking over here, you grow the crop, it goes on a truck, it goes to the port gets delivered to CBH and that's the last we see of it and then we sit in an office and sell it. That's how it works over here. So, yeah, it's just, for us it's to shift that mindset and get involved in selling to the consumer and that's where all that branding and that's been a real learning curve for us. And I'm so keen to flesh that out with you guys. I think I, I chatted to a dude in um, New Zealand a few years ago. He was a dairy farmer, but he described himself as a food producer. He's like, yeah, I'm selling commodities, but at the end of the day, like the commodity which it's going to end up at as is food. So that's how he thought of himself. And it was, I think like for me it was like, wow, language is so important in terms of how people describe themselves and ultimately like, yes, you might be curating the cows and looking after them, but actually at the end of the day that's going into – milks and cheeses and everything else. So tell me, like, for you guys, where did you start? What are, you, what are your backgrounds? And Liam, obviously a Scottish accent, like Scotland's home. Yeah, Scotland's home. Grandfather was a farmer. Yeah, the old man wasn't so interested. He's a quantity surveyor. 
yeah, so grew up on the family farm, a small little family farm over there, and um, Granda rented it out, but I was always just tractor mad, like as a kid. That's all I wanted to do was drive tractors, so that, and that stayed through to my 20s, I suppose. It wasn't until I was in my 20s I started looking a lot more at what, what you're actually doing and taking more interest in the actual farming. And of course, by that time, I was heading over here. So 2004, I came over here. So yeah, just came to have a drink and look around and yeah, did that pretty successfully for a while. And was that to come over for a harvest or, or a planting? Yeah, I came for a harvest, um, did a harvest season, then did a bit of touring around and came back to the same place for seeding, which was next door to where Fiona's old man farms. So, and uh, well, her brother now. So yeah, so that's how we kind of met. What were the things that you noticed maybe that were like similar between maybe the Scottish farmers and Australian farmers, but maybe also some of the differences as well? The differences were a lot more obvious. Uh, it's almost like opposite, you know, like as far as the weather, and it, it's almost opposite. The farming system, you know, we grow a crop here over winter, whereas we grow a crop at home in summer. So, yeah, that was that was big bit of what, I, I don't know if it maybe started me thinking about different, you know, when you're in your own little bubble, you just think that's how the whole world is until you get out and about and see other people doing it completely differently, you know, and what you think, what you think you knew doesn't really matter over here. It's, you know, it was a whole big learning curve how this, this system works. But then it goes again, what Fiona was saying, you know, when we're in that room with all those people, there was every different farming system you could think of just about, um, which is very varied. Absolutely. And what about for you, Fiona? So obviously you, you ended up with the Scottish backpacker-ish, if we can call him that, <laughs> working next door. But for you, were you working on the farm at the time? No, I wasn't. So I went to uni, natural resource management degree, came home to mum and dad's farm for a year briefly just so I could have my fix. Um, and then I ended up being an agronomist for three years a bit further south, was down there, and then I got transferred from there back up to Mullawal. It's a local town, and I was branch manager, merch manager there for four years. And in that time, that's when we, you know, met at the Mullawal pub and got together and then married and I started having kids. So when I was pregnant with the twins was when I finished working. And, yeah, then we've sort of gone from, yeah, I suppose the rest of the story. So Liam, we got married. Liam's always worked for, like, you know, in ag um, in different farms. And it wasn't until... I was pregnant with our third and the opportunity came up for this property, which my parents were very fortunate enough to be in a position to purchase. And we sort of made the decision to let's give it a go. So we leased it off them, and we sh- but we shifted over and we borrowed some machinery off my brother and my parents and a bit of cash from Liam's parents and we started. But yeah, with the contract, with the contracting. The so the big thing, the, our big, our big first purchase was our first secondhand self-propelled sprayer. Liam had a lot of experience driving sprayers up in his previous employment, so that was our. You know, Liam's got that skill set. Let's see if we can get some cash flow happening with that. So that's been our. I wouldn't quite say our bread and butter, but we've built it up that it's now significant. It's probably worth half of our revenue. It's our contracting business, and we need that for cash flow because we lease this property off my parents, but then we don't have that opportunity then to borrow um, for seasonal loans and things like that. So we have to generate our cash flow a little bit differently to the majority. Has it really been the the cash flow of that contracting business that has allowed you guys to, I guess, establish yourself and build Block 275 on the side as its own business and brand? Yeah, 100%. 100%, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, it's been for the farm as well, you know, like so gradually we've the first couple of years, we had to borrow a lot of uh, gear off um, 
Sam and Zach, um, Fiona's old man and brother. And then over the years, we could sit a bit by bit, got bits of gear of our own and just got ourselves to the situation now where we don't need to borrow too much. And yeah, just kept building the contract in so far. I haven't gone silly with it, but keeps me well and truly out of mischief. And then, yeah, we the oil came a little bit later on, a couple of years later. We bought the oil press, which sat around in the shed in a pallet for a couple of years. We seemed to never either, neither, either didn't have the time, but had the money, or didn't have the money, but had the time, or it was one or the other. And, yeah, we eventually had a good push and got it all happening. And, yeah, it's just hopefully another little revenue stream that, with any luck, isn't so fastened to uh, rainfall. And because we chat to lots of kind of young farmers, and I think what's interesting is people will say, oh, it's, it's impossible to, to get a start in, in farming. But it seems like, did you guys start off with kind of a, a big plan on a page of going, righto, the end goal is this, this is what we're going to do? Or did you really start quite like practically and go for loans or anything like that, people want to see cash flow, what's the way to get cash flow? Oh, so we're completely winging this, Ollie. Yeah. Um, we, Perfect. There's no rule book for us. Uh, we're a little yeah. bit, um, I like to tell, well, we sort of describe it as being a square peg in a round hole. So we've tried banks. Banks won't really like us. We don't have any equity to put forward. So, but don't worry, there's always um, there's always ways to do it if you're keen enough. We've share farmed. We've leased other properties. This has been our core block, but we've done other things. There's CBH prepays. There's, you know, booking up your fertiliser and your chemical for deferred terms until the after harvest. Look, we pay the interest, but we don't really have another option. We have to pay the interest in, to get the cash flow working for us. So we're doing, I think we've just done nine seasons. I think this is our 10th season now. So I pretty much know all the tricks under, yeah, I've got them under control as to how to get cash <laughs> happening. So. Um, you just, yeah, look, it is really hard. It is hard to get into ag, 100%. There is no, it's quite funny, doing this, um, the oil, you know, we talk about business plans and I'd love to see a farm that actually had a business plan. There is no business plan. There is just, you know, for us it's... Well, there is a basic plan. Well, there is a basic plan, but it's not written in, it's not a piece of paper you would give to a bank. Here's my business plan. Like it's it's mostly up here. You know, we know where we want to get, but for us it's the sky. Is it going to rain? Like it really comes down to the weather and I think, that's just the hardest part. Our kids were talking about it this morning and we were like, oh, you know, we've got our budget review on Thursday and we'll, and they're, oh, how does that work, mum? I was like, well, mum puts the budget together and then consultant has a look and sees if she's got it right or she's missing something and then dad asks for things and then, <laughs> and then we, we can fit the things dad wants into the budget. It's kind of how it works, you know, just very, very, that was very broad for children, but, you know, just trying to explain to them that, you know, we put numbers in the budget, but if it doesn't rain, you know, we've booked all this stuff up potentially and then if it doesn't rain, then we're, you know, it makes life a lot harder. So you have to really, you know, money doesn't grow on trees eh? and, yeah, you just have to look at it a little bit differently. Absolutely. And I think simple is kind of always best when it comes to those things, isn't it? You can get so caught up in overcomplicating business plans or financials or anything like that and it's like you just need revenue to be more than costs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Liam, you mentioned you had lots of time, little money, bit of money, little time. What stage did you guys kind of pull the trigger and move into actually establishing the brand and building the press and, and getting started on it all? I must say, whole year was, must have been tight. One, so we moved here in 15, been... I reckon 16 or 17, I reckon we bought the press and imported it because it came from Germany. Yeah, and it was 19 a tight one. 
Yeah, and then it sat there and we still had to like concrete the shed and get power down there and stuff like that and buy sea containers. You know, then we got a sea yeah. container and we couldn't afford to put the flooring in. It was it just it felt like it was going forever. Yeah. So I reckon it was 2019 we that was that tight one. We really Liam was like we have to find the money to make this start happening. Like we just have to do it. As a little revenue stream it wasn't making any revenue sitting in the shed. So yeah, we had a big push that year and got it all happening and that was the year that had a bit more time in my hands. And uh, yeah, just made it all happen eventually, didn't we? One way or another. Yeah, so that like we that was the year where we sort of started, you know, playing with labels, and you know, it didn't launch mm. until October twenty twenty, but um, had start you know started you know I, I remember the <laughs> the was that arguments uh, the conversations around labels um, couldn't decide on a label. I'm hopeless with this, you know, making yeah, you a decision. Decide. You know, I'd have girls here. I'll come for a glass of champagne. I've, I've narrowed it down to six. What are you girls? Give me some input. Oh, like, you know, three bottles of champagne later and later and no one's made a decision and I still don't know what label we're gonna pick. And you know, it was it was a period of that. Just we didn't know. We knew the product was good, all that kind of stuff. We were getting really good feedback from that. We spent the time to get the smoke point tested, all that kind of stuff just to get that right. That was when we did the branding. So the background with the branding, Ollie, is that so we're block two seven five. We're two seven five Cant Road. So that's our physical address. Um, in Eridu, and then I'm not sure if you've seen the familiar with our logo. So it's got a sort of a rectangular with the line going through it. So that's a direct representation of the Greenough River, which comes through our property. So if you were to look at our, our property on an aerial map, you would see that's the. It's very easy to pick our farm just because it takes a specific loop through our property. So it's like a snippet. It's not the exact farm. But it's a snippet representation because we wanted to really focus on the provenance of our property in our product. And this all came about, remember it was that we went, I think it was an arts festival at UWA in Perth, which is a bit of a random thing for us to go to, but it was about food and we went and listened to a few things and we got in the car on the way home and it was a bit of a, oh, what was your take home from that, you know, those things. We both went to different sessions and it was very much around provenance and food and people wanting to know where their food came from. And that was sort of where the conversation I think originally started um, yeah, and then so the idea between with the oil, Liam's got friends back in home, back in Scotland, and they do a very very similar thing with their product, rapeseed oil over there, obviously, but very similar. So that's that's where we sort of got the concept and the idea and thought Liam was like, I can do that. That mechanical setup, boy stuff, yeah. he was like, that's easy. Well, I love the provenance side of things. Like obviously you've got to get the product right. Like you could do all the marketing say that, yeah, this is the story, blah, 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 whatever. You had to get the product right. So is that right that you guys led with that? Like, as you said, the smoke test done, smoke point test? Yeah, we wanted to make sure it yeah. was right. So we don't want to say I was a bit concerned. So canola oil has a high smoke point, but I was concerned that given we don't refine it, so we just press filter package, that's it. So commercial canola oil, they use heat, solvents, hexane, bleaches, deodorizing. It's a really refined process. Oh, for, for obvious for reasons. reasons. Or they yeah, want to so get... they want to get as much out. So they want quantity, right? Mm. So they they rinse stuff. That's just how the product is is made. But it does have a high smoke point and is very neutral. You'd be familiar with canola oil, very clear. So I wanted to make sure that if we weren't doing any of that processing, did that affect our smoke point? Because if we've still got waxes and natural stuff in there, did it bring it down? But I sent it off and it came back and it's 212 degrees. So it is still a high smoke point, which is really good. I think I did you get, I sent you a sample, Ollie, just so you could see the bottle and the branding and stuff. Um, so yeah. it's a very different product. It's really golden. It's got a canola smell to it. It's quite nutty 
on the taste. So it's a very different product in terms of its commercial competitor, but it's still got those, you know, it's high smoke. It's got, got all the other things it's still good for. And well, there's a whole story behind actually getting the bottle because the person was like, it's been dropped off somewhere. So we, we work on a big, call it an estate, but it's a big old industrial area. And they're like, just dropped it in a safe space. Anyway, the rigmarole that started of us running around trying to find where this package was. Because I said to Millie, I was like, Millie, it says that something's come from Geraldton. Like, do you know, like, have you got something coming from Geraldton? She said, oh. And she's like, no, it'll be the oil. Anyway, so we got it and we've seen it. And and I think, yeah, the the black packaging, like, it's just schlick and looks, I'll say quite, like, quite elegant and something that you'd see just as a bit of a feature on the kitchen bench that people would be using. Yeah, so we wanted to position it very much in that premium market. It's a very different product. We wanted it to be standalone from commercial canola oil, so we didn't want to use plastic bottles. We wanted to use dark-coloured bottles that would – and this was a conversation we had. So we've gone with the dark-coloured bottles because they protect the the oil, the quality of it, so it doesn't degrade. On the flip side, you can't see the beautiful colour. And it's, you know, it's a conversation we definitely had. Should we use clear bottles so that people can see the amazing colour? But then, yeah, it was a hard decision to make, but we've just decided to go with, no, we're going to use amber-coloured bottles or tin to protect the oil. It's more important. So that's what we've done. We've tried to make the branding quite premium just to really differentiate it against commercial canola oil and place it up with an extra virgin olive oil. Basically, we're trying to put it up there. So it's a really healthy product. So lowest saturated fat of all the dietary fat. So it's actually heart health, heart health, healthier than olive oil. Canola oil in general is healthy for you. It's the processing of the commercial canola oil that's given it the bad name. So they're, they're the hurdles we have to get over is to show, is to probably educate people on what it can be used for, what its features are, what its benefits are, and why it's different to commercial canola oil. Because price is completely different as well. The beautiful complexity with food, isn't it? There's always these different avenues. And it feels like, like oh, if people just knew, it's such a huge amount of effort that goes into one, the marketing for awareness and then marketing for education and then marketing for an actual sale. And it's like, well, you need to somehow get to the end. Oh, and also, we've done enough markets now that you can, it's pretty much the standard standard thing that happens. People come wandering past and you go, would you like a taste? And you get this face and this pullback and it's canola oil. And you're like, no, 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 no. And I've always got both samples, our stuff and the commercial stuff. And I'm like, not this one. We're not talking about this one. We're talking about this one. And so instantly they can see there's a colour differentiation. And then there sort of peaks a little bit of interest. Oh, okay. I'm like, have a taste. Just have a taste. It's a piece of bread dipped in some oil. Just have a taste. Which I think people are like, you want me to dip bread in canola oil? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just trust me. It's fine. Trust me. And they'll taste it and then you just get the most bizarre reactions. It's hilarious. There's quite often some swearing involved and in a good way. You know, like, that's really good. That's really amazing. That is nothing like I thought that was going to taste like. And the other thing that piques their interest is when you are able to explain that we're the farmers, like, oh, so we're the farmers. We're not just here trying to sell you some crap. We're actually the farmers. This is from our product, from our property. So that picture there, that's our kids. You know, this is us. That's our dog, Bob. It's that whole story. Well, you said, well, we use oil as well. Yeah, so we so- use it. Like, love it. We use it for everything, obviously. So, yeah, it's that story. But I'm really, like, three years of doing events, we still get that pushback every time. That's that's the sort of, I suppose, the big hurdle we have is trying to get people. There's always, yes, you know, that canola oil is here, but there's always exceptions to the rule. You'll read a book, a health book, and it'll say, oh, don't use vegetable oils. 
And sometimes you'll see it say, oh, cold press exceptions, but you won't be able to find them kind of thing. You know, some books will actually say. So it's it's all about the processing. It's not the canola oil is actually good for you. Have you guys got a like a key challenge or maybe like a defining moment that you feel has really shaped, I guess, this evolution into this brand and business of where it's at today? <laughs> well, our key challenge, your key challenge for the oil is logistics, like getting it yeah. to your market, to your customers yeah. at a reasonable price. Like logistically getting product from here is a disaster. Yeah. Like if you could have your farm in the middle of Perth, no worries. But yeah, yeah it's like, yeah, difficult. yeah, logistics is definitely hard. Freight. And it's for this is a challenge for all small businesses. Um, but freight's a nightmare. Freight has gone up like more than double. So if I wanted to send a twenty liter drum of oil from here to a restaurant, um, so south of Perth, it would cost one hundred and twenty dollars to ship a drum of oil. On the flip side, I know I can send stuff to the eastern states for less than that. Like it's just intrastate particularly is just ridiculous. So it's trying to build, I suppose, collaborations and partnerships with people um, to see if we can get, because we're not, the thing is, Ollie, we're not at the point where we're shipping it so regularly that we've got a commercial account with anyone. So that's the problem. Mm. And that's what all little businesses have. Until you can get that scale, you really just have this huge freight, you know, you don't get any discounts with that. So it's trying to build collaborations and partnerships with people that can maybe store some of our oil do us a favour, you know, there's a lot of favours being asked. Can you guys chuck a label on that and get a, I'll get the courier to you. But we've had to sort of go down a little bit of think outside the square with that because when we started three years ago, you know, I could ship three boxes down south for 40 bucks. Like that's the difference. And now it's it's just gone ridiculous. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a worldwide thing I would think with fuel and whatnot. But that's certainly a big challenge. The other challenge is um, just me being here. So the sales, I suppose, side of it is very much me. Liam's, we always say, Liam's responsible for getting it in the vat and then it's my problem, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It's Basically. a big joke between us. Um, so Except for when you want to get it in the vat during harvest. That's yeah, then I have to also, I'm wanting a press done during spring and harvest, so then I get told, well, love, you, know, you can have to do it yourself. Good luck with that. Yeah, and the other thing is, I suppose, it's, yeah, that I'm the face, but we've still got quite young children. So we've got... Um, Identical twin boys who are nearly 14 and our youngest, George, is 10 and a half. So we've, you know, year five and year nine, so we've still got a fair way in their schooling journey. Um, They don't go to boarding school. They stay here, but that takes two hours out of my day just getting them to school buses. You know, then all the other things, sport. And so I've still got all that mother, mother stuff that has to be done. And then we juggle all the other stuff. So then I don't do any tractor driving or any of that. I'm I'm office, I'm back end, you know, accounts and payroll and all the great, like that side of things. But it's just my time, you know, so if something's on in Perth, an event, it's Liam, are you able to, are you are you here to take kids? And it's not that he can't take kids, but quite often he's contracting. So he can't be here. It just contracting has to come first. So then is my mum available? You know, it's asking, we have to ask for favours and you don't want to stretch that too far, but that's what it, that's probably another another problem or another challenge, I'll call it, that we have to find the right person that potentially can communicate our story as well as we can to consumers in Perth at events so we can get that brand awareness out there. Yeah, God, never ending. It's just always compounding for you guys. Mm. How do you go? Like, so, and you don't give me exact numbers, but like, would you say percentage of your crop that's actually going into the oil, how much of that would be? Oh, it's not much at the moment. So I had a 
we're on batch, we've just done, we've done batch eight and that's more than halfway through over three years. So it's about two and a half batches. I think we've done about over a year average. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about two and a, we'll call it 2000 liters a year, which is not very much. On average, we have, we run a rotation wheat, lupins, canola. On average, we're cropping about 150 hectares of canola, which uses two and a half tonnes to a batch. So five tonnes is two and a half, like six, seven tonnes maybe a year of that one. And we our average is 100, our average is about a tonne. So seven tonne of 150. So we've got heaps. So we're not, we're not at the moment, I suppose, value adding very much. My, I suppose, long-term. We're going to try and grow the. Yeah. So my long-term vision would be to turn all the canola we grow here into oil. That would be my long-term. That would be my North Star. Yep. And I guess why I asked that was because I was interested, like, with the the cycle of dry, wet, whatever season, is that going to impact you? But I guess in a good way, it actually, that's not an issue for, it's one less complication that you guys need to worry about. Not because the scale we're at. It's not, we haven't got the scale on it yet. We're running hundreds of tonnes around like that. So even last year. Last year was, it wasn't a great year this year. Last year up here for the season, we actually didn't keep any of last year's seed just because it was quality. small seed, low quality, low oil. And we it's had a, enough the, on hand. The smaller seed, every, every different seed is different to press. So it goes through the press different. Some of it presses quickly, some of it presses slowly. Yeah, it's all different. And the stuff we got from the previous year is just beautiful canola. And I just didn't see the point in throwing that out and putting the crap stuff we grew this year. So we just delivered all that stuff and kept pressing the stuff, the good stuff from last year. But that's just the flexibility we've got at the minute, just having a very small throughput really through it. But really what we need to do is grow sales. But growing sales bits a little bit hampered by the logistical side of it. Yeah. Right? It was very hard by the logistical yeah. side of it. But the rate, like, yeah, so buffering, the reason we sort of went, one of the reasons we went into the value add with the oil is to buffer ourselves from the markets, from the weather. So, you know, I think our average rainfall here is about 325. Last year it was 180, or actually only 130 mils of that was in the growing season. So that's not very much rain. And our average canola yields just over a tonne, and last year we grew 500 kilos. So it would be a problem if we were so amazing and we were turning all our 150 hectares of canola into oil and that was 150 tonnes and then we got a year and we had markets and, you know, orders for that and then we had a year like last year, well, I'd suddenly only have 75 tonnes. So that would be a problem. We're not there yet. That that would be a good problem to have. Um, Lamoy says to me, if you can turn all the canola into canola oil, um, that'll that, you know, think we'll have different problems by then. So, <laughs> yeah. I reckon you'll have people problems by then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as part of the Syngenta Awards program, you guys get to head overseas, and I feel like that'll be super interesting, especially in that consumer space that you guys are in, walking through airports, shops, supermarkets, whatever it might be. What are you guys looking forward to and really hoping to get out of it? We haven't heard a lot about it yet, Ollie. So I like I'm not sure where we're going. I'm not sure. We're not actually sure if we've both got a ticket or if it's just one of us. So we're a bit yeah, I'm a bit unsure just because I'm not sure what to expect, where we're going. Are we going to cities? Are we going to look at farms? I think just looking at anything different is always interesting. It's obviously a lot closer to Liam's turf, so he's probably a bit more familiar with some of the practices over there. 
just because it's you know in it's I think we're going to Europe. I'm not I'm not actually 100 percent sure. I believe it's Europe. Yeah, I believe it is too. I'm just not sure where in Europe. Europe's pretty big. Yeah, but yeah, I think a few countries. Yeah, and just I think spending time with the other um, Syngenta growth winners, like they were a pretty cool bunch of guys, and um, lots just lots to learn from them. I think in general, like you know, some of them are our age, some of them are young. I think there were some younger ones. A lot of them are older. Those older guys got so much wealth of knowledge. Yeah, they're great to learn from and just, you know, pick their brains about things. Oh, I can tell you. I've, yeah, had the chance to sit down with a few so far and it's seriously cool. So, yeah, there's some seriously interesting people who have just done some stuff. I think especially I'll say of the older generation that are kind of, I guess, closer to finishing up, what's really blown me away is just how passionate they are. And I'll say as a young person like in the industry and knowing that like we're passionate about sustainability and, and making sure there's opportunities and that we're showcasing that two people not just in ag but also outside of ag what's happening the older generation like they're the exact same the passion's exactly there and it's like so cool it's like how do we i've just loved the chance to sit down with all these different people for an hour and just be like yeah actually we're all coming from the same place and i think you've talked about a little bit fiona of how to actually bring ag kind of together to then come out from like a united front because at the end of the day agriculture is all agriculture it is i think we do need to get better as an industry in educating or just I don't like saying, you know, get rid of that divide. I think we do an amazing job in agriculture. We grow amazing food. It's really safe, all the rest of it. We just don't do a very good job of showing the rest of the country and the and the rest of the consumer and the and the customer. I think podcasts like what you're doing is amazing. I've seen there's a lady, I can't think of her name. She's on Instagram. She does a lot of stories. Hers is more across um horticulture. But you know, there's it's really easy. I think Farmers can be their, a little bit their own worst enemy. They don't, they don't like, it's a bit of a tall copy syndrome. They don't like to spruik what they do. And that's just, that's the industry I think you'll find. There, there'll be a few that do, but a lot of people just do what they do. But we just need to get better at going, hey, this is what we do and this is amazing. And I think even, you know, you hear about a lot of people trying to get people into the younger kids, in kids, young adults, into the industry. I heard someone say the other day, I think it might have been on one of your podcasts, you don't need to be a farmer to be in the ag industry, and that's so, so true. There's just so many different parts of this industry, and you can be in there. You can be an agronomist. You can be a mechanic. You can be a farm consultant. You know, you can be – you can sit in an office, actually, in the, in a um, metro city and still be involved in the farming um, the farming industry. I think you get more out of it if you go bush, 100%, but agriculture isn't just the farmers. But I think coming back to something, the comment you made earlier about it's hard to get in. Yeah, it is absolutely really hard to get into farming. But if you want it bad enough and you've got some luck on your side, then absolutely you can do it. It's harder and you have to do it differently to other people. But yeah, I think you can do it. It's just, you just got to have the right things in place to help you along. Totally. I've got probably a couple of questions I'd love to kind of wrap on with each of you. One is, that advice and and so for people who are listening who are that younger generation who are thinking whether it's a farming idea or they might have a startup idea or something that they want to apply in agriculture what's your advice to them about i guess establishing yourselves and and actually creating a brand and a business and a product really from a point of passion ask questions so i know nothing marketing i did a bachelor what i say natural resource management there was no marketing in any of the stuff i did at uni and then i went to be an agronomist and then i was a stay-at-home mom like i've not done any marketing i've had to learn on the run um so i'm currently doing a course um that was it's a female founders course it was i'm co-funded by deep the department of ag over here 
and it's for female farm like female founders to get their heads around all that marketing side of stuff your brand awareness and your vision and your mission and customers and all that stuff because just going you know i thought oh yeah i've got a brand block 275 single farm you know origin um produce that's fine i've done my website and then you start delving into more about what you need to do and how you need to talk to your customer and talk to the consumer and i'm like looking at my website now going ah yeah right i don't have any of that on there yeah it's not actually it's not talking to the my consumer it's not doing this it's not answering that so it just really highlights the things i need to focus on and look it it does it takes it takes time it takes courses you know it might just be a webinar it might just be a conversation a networking thing you go to some other conference and it might just be someone else you've spoken to over lunch and they're like oh are you that bloke that grows bananas or whatever and oh how are you doing that and all of a sudden you go oh i could do that and you've just got to continually keep, learn you've got to keep learning like i'm 44 yeah. ollie and yep as much as my kids are counting <laughs> my 10 year old he's like every morning i hate school when when i'm like oh mate you've got so many years left it's not funny but, <laughs> you know you've just you, yes you finish school tick a box maybe go to uni maybe do a trade whatever but you just got to continually learn. Otherwise, it's really easy to fall behind. You know, the 14-year-olds haven't quite surpassed me. They still come to me for computer advice, but I'm conscious that they're, you know, the kids learn. They keep up to with that technology. And if you just keep learning, just doing different things, asking different questions, put yourself out of your comfort zone. I've really tried to try and keep that as my mantra, as much as you're probably not going to believe me when I say this. I hate doing public speaking, but I, because <laughs> I know I've, speaking a lot today but i do put myself out of my comfort zone to do it because i think it's an important way to grow and it's a way of me getting brand awareness and people will come up to me and they might say hey i had this question about your oil and it might be something i've never thought about i go oh right i need to I need to do a post about that or i need to incorporate that into our marketing or you know so for me it's just i would just say just continually learn don't be afraid to ask questions um you'd have to be pretty unlucky to get some grumpy old bastard that didn't want to help you out for sure. What about for you, Len? I always think more of the practical side of it. So, yeah, practical side of it for me was just, yeah, I reckon you just got to, if you want to make it happen, you just got to keep grinding away at it and keep making the moves in the right direction and eventually things will start moving the right way for you. Yeah. It's amazing how much, isn't it, like that, it's that momentum. I try and talk about it a lot of like our cadence and it's like if you can get a cadence it's like you're not just going to run and sprint the whole time but it's like when you've got that momentum do what you need to do take faster steps slow down a little bit but just keep moving and you'll yeah. get knockbacks ollie you'll get we've had plenty of oh, knockbacks. Yeah. you'll get knockbacks all the time <laughs> yeah. really and sometimes it can be quiet uh you gotta just learn to ignore them you just gotta go. liam's got a saying what is it what's, well, what's for you won't go by you what's for you won't go by you so i i've actually really Yep, taking that by the horns because sometimes you, when you get knocked back on something you're potentially quite passionate about, it can be yeah, it can really knock you. Mm. But if it's meant to, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and you've just got to keep working towards that. That's a very similar, and I I don't know if it's quite word for word, but I feel like if my memory serves me well, nearly word for word of what Julia Sparser said on our podcast episode very recently. Oh, but, yeah, there you go. Yeah, if it's for me, like if there, if there's an opportunity, if it's for me. Uh, what was yours? If it, it's for you, what's for you won't go past for you. What's for you won't go by you. Well, what's, yeah, what's for you won't go by you. So, yeah. And I reckon hers was the same. And she, hers was like, well, if an opportunity goes by, it wasn't meant to be for me. That's right. And that's her you outlook. Weren't, you weren't in the right position for it or you weren't chasing it hard enough or whatever. 
something's outside or potentially something's outside of your, right. you know, nothing you could have done would have changed the outcome. Mm. So there's, because in, in the moment it can be, yeah, frustrating and gut-wrenching and all the rest of it, but you've just got to be able to, okay, yeah, yeah, just keep have a glass around. of wine and tomorrow's a new day. That's right. Just keep, keep <laughs> Totally. <laughs> I reckon I could just keep talking to you guys for a long time. My old boss, I'll throw this one in, he used to say it was like anything good won't last long and anything bad won't last long. So just know that like yeah, something yeah, always gives yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and don't let the thing that gives be you. Yeah, <laughs> No, well, guys, thank you so much for coming and having a chat. I actually feel like I could just keep asking you questions and chatting about all kinds of things. So what we'll do, we'll just take it to Perth at the end of the month yeah. and we'll just catch up there instead. Yeah. <laughs> Liam will talk more over a beer, Ollie, I promise. <laughs> Maybe we should have done this with a few beers, Ollie. <laughs> oh, we could have. Maybe not in your morning, though. No. <laughs> we wouldn't be very productive there. No, well, guys, thank you so much for sitting down. Congratulations on being a Syngenta Growth Award winner. And I'm looking forward to when you guys find out more hearing more about what the trip is, what's going to happen and um, and following that journey as well. So thank you. Sounds yeah. good, Ollie. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.